Welcome to Did You Book a Room? A podcast all about what happens offstage, where the learning happens. Today I'm talking to Anita Banerjee, an amateur violinist with a huge passion for music. We talk about choosing how music fits into the rest of life, what makes up identity, and the freedom of being an amateur. Hi, Anita. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm really excited to speak to you today. Um, yeah, thank, thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> Just for our listeners, can you give us a quick rundown of who you are and what you do? I know there's a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, so my, my name is Anita. Um, I work at the University of Manchester in student mental health. Um, and that project's about supporting a, a group of students, including you, uh, to do a peer-led evaluation of the uh, Greater Manchester Mental Health Service. And I'm an amateur violinist. <laughs> So right off that, I'd love to begin with just how you started playing the violin. Um, you were quite young, and like a lot of us, you started as a Suzuki kid. Will you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah, so um, this story, in a way, it's my mum's story rather than my story, because I will have been, well, she says, you know, less than four years old. So I, I don't remember at all. But um, apparently I started insisting that I wanted to play the violin. And um, yeah, being a sensible mum, she let that sit for a bit, you know, to see if it remains. Um, but also she, you know, she thought, what am I earth am I gonna do with a three-year-old that wants to learn to play the violin? Um, and it just happened by chance that um, she was speaking on the local radio and the woman speaking before her was as a Suzuki violin teacher. And of course, that's very good for young children because you learn by ear. Um, so it's a very natural process for, for a young child to, to hear and repeat and watch and copy. Um, so that's, that's how I started my violin journey. And of course, very nice for a young child because you have a group of little Suzuki violin players that you do your, you know, your group lessons with and that you meet, so. Yeah, yeah, right off the bat, you're thrown into that kind of community aspect. Really like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was definitely a strong part. You know, I always had a little group of, of violin friends and then orchestra friends as you got older. Uh, and you continued right through school and A-levels, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. So I, I, I continued right um, through uh, and into my first year of university at A-levels. It was a really, that was a really big part of my life at A-levels, playing in orchestras, um, yeah, doing solo stuff, uh, playing in quartet. And, I, you know, I was really very, very emotionally engaged with it. Yeah, those, those ensemble things are always really exciting. I think it's a as a young musician to play with other people that are also excited about that. Yeah. yeah. Will you elaborate a bit on that ensemble experience, kind of quartets and orchestra and... Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I suppose it started from the Suzuki playing really where you, you do group lessons. And uh, even when you're doing performances, you know, there's, what is the 12 of you playing Vivaldi's first concerto at the same time? So you always have this strong feel for that, I think. Um, and then, you know, the school orchestras and the junior orchestras. 
and I, I just think it's um, it's a way that I really enjoy being with people. Um, you know, as a violinist, you don't often get to know the people in the brass section, and yet you all come together and, and play the same piece. And there's something about that collaborative, um, creative process. Um, or, yeah, that kind of... Uh, yeah, I, can't, I don't know if I'd call it creative, but yeah, something about bringing together and bringing something together that's really important, as well as just the everyday friendships that you, you make around this and that you enjoy. Um, I think quartet is what I enjoy the most because you have your own voice and yet you're responding with other people. And I really like that feel of being an individual, but within a group. Um, and I suppose that that's the more create find what I find the more creative process as well. Um, so um, I do enjoy exploring the solo repertoire uh, very much. But it is some something happens. It's like the solo repertoire is in a room, but when you play in a quartet, it like opens up a whole landscape and world or something. Yeah. And it's it's exciting to to create with other people and to have that autonomy. Of what you're yeah, doing. I think also when you're playing with other people, it's like there's more a sense of flow. It's not all on you, hmm. so it's it sort of there's more a sense of ease about it that can be than you sort of me plugging my way through the Mendelssohn Violin Concerto in my bedroom, you know. <laughs> So that leads perfectly on. There are so many reasons that we do play music and that really shifts depending on our relationship to it at the time. Uh, for you, what's the purpose or goal? What kind of things do you hope to get out of it? I think it, I mean, playing, playing the violin since before I can remember playing the violin. So it's very, it connects me with my uh, yeah, my childhood, my growing up, there's something innate, isn't there? There's probably something in the body about being like that, you know, that is sort of very integrating for me. Uh, I think also, um, you know, it's something that my mum and dad really supported and celebrated, so it's a connection there as well. And... Um, yeah, so, and, and now, you know, I'm sort of in the working world and um, yeah, you've got your work, haven't you? And then you've got your your things you do around the house and the, the violin just brings very much into it another aspect of life and expression. And I don't know, um, it's a bit like people talk about going out into nature, just sort of opens things up, opens up a different way of exploring, opens up a broader perspective. You know, it's enjoyable, it's, um, it's a way of engaging, kind of uh, progressing, a sense of progress as well. Um, and you can use it in so many different ways, can't you? You can some days use it to look at studies and work your way through something that feels quite simple and grounding. And it's nice just doing some physical, technical work, or can use it at the end of the day just to have a play. Um, 
and I just like I like being in that musical world you know if you go to orchestra or violin lessons and the conductor or your teacher you know there's certain phrases that are used in the musical world and I just like hearing them because they take me into that world and it's not it's not my working world it's my you know it's some it's a different aspect for me you know so uh, yeah it's really interesting you you that parallel between nature and music and you've both got that kind of meditative opportunity almost through mm. being in the moment and kind of in in flow mm. yeah and i think it's definitely um you know the 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 engagement when i go to concerts as well you know there's this my playing but then there's this other aspect you know going into manchester going and watching different concert con concerts exploring different different music presented in different way um and you can explore your identity in society through that you know sub subconsciously almost you know that that's a big uh topic to jump into yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't have any expertise in that so maybe it wouldn't be such a big topic i wouldn't have a lot to say <laughs> Uh, one of the things that really fascinates me is the teacher and learner relationship, um, and in particular, what the conventions or norms are of each relationship. Um, how has your relationship to your teachers changed as you've gotten older and have a better idea of your own goals? So um, my first teacher, I suppose, was from when I was very young until about 15. And that was very definitely a teacher-pupil relationship. And I think the Suzuki style is maybe not so much to encourage individual expression, but you're told exactly how to play everything because you're going to be playing it all together. Um, and I think in my teenage years, I started to uh, feel like that was a bit restrictive, really. Um, and then during my A-levels, I had the teacher that was there in, in, in the school I was at, and she just finished her degree. Um, and so she was very charismatic. So I really related to her much more as a person. And, mm. um, you know, I thought it was so cool. She'd been to university, and how cool was that, you know? Um, so I think it's, you know, the that was just such a brilliant teacher to have at that time and she certainly did encourage you know natural expression um and uh yeah i did my i did my grade eight with her and yeah really enjoyed that process as well um then i had a gap for a while and only you know came back really to having lessons in my 40s so then my teachers my but two the two teachers i've had since then have uh, been younger than me so uh that's been interesting but they were people with professional playing careers and doing different things so then to be taught by somebody who um plays professionally can talk about that emotionally um explore things from a more adult perspective and uh, certainly the first teacher I had, she wanted to know what I wanted out of violin in my life, where it fitted in, how violin could support my life. Um, and, and yeah, it's level, and you know, an, an amateur violinist at 40 was really important to me at that time. You know, really, really important. Um, 
and then the teacher I've got now, yeah, again, that's interesting. A, a different person, different relationship. Yeah. That first teacher, um, once you came back to it, asking kind of how you want to fit in, how you want violin to fit into your life, that's such a huge question that I think a lot of us don't ask ourselves enough. How did that influence how you started thinking about violin and how it's kind of your answer to that question, I suppose? Yeah, um, I think one thing was that it was really validating that, you know, I'm an amateur violinist, I hadn't played for a long time, yet it was okay for this to be really, really important to me. Mm. You know, I suppose there's this thing in society, you have to be good for something to be important. And actually, you could be a, a mediocre and this be really, really important to you. So there was that aspect to it of almost increasing and uh, it's sort of my level of commitment to it. And at the same time, that commitment didn't have to be about the hours that you practice each day. Mm. It could be about how you come to your practice and how you want to practice and not having feeling the need that oh, I have to do my studies today or I didn't play yesterday. It could be about, oh, it's really important for me to play now. Well, how does that feel like now? How do I want to play? Do I want to practice? You know, what is it that I want to do? Um, so yeah that in a way it's really hard i think to get away from society's viewpoint of hours means success as opposed to what is your approach to this at this moment <laughs> where does it fit for you um well not losing that idea that part of the enjoyment can be finding fluency and that does involve some kind of practice no, so it's, it's, it's such a societal strongness thing that proving your commitment <laughs> through hours, you know, uh, in whatever realm you're in, whatever your world is. So, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting journey, I think. It's working smarter and more intentionally than, you know. 15 hours a day of yeah 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 absolutely and I think a lot of the the work that I did with that teacher was and, and now is learning how to practice well mm. um as opposed to when you're younger I don't think you explicitly think about practice techniques you just do what your teacher tells you whereas I think more as an adult you know, and, and now I go back to my teacher and I say, oh, I decided to have a go at practicing it this way. You know, it's about you developing your own sort of ways of practice. So uh, yeah, it's interesting because I missed out. I missed out that chunk from sort of, I don't know, maybe uh, 25 to 35, 40, you know, sort of. So I, before that, it, it was kind of... Uh, really relating to the experts and just taking on following their instructions as to more becoming an independent uh, learner if you like explorer yeah you're exploring your own way of working and, and what works for you rather than mm. having to fit into that mm. system mm -mm. Mm. so it's the only time that breaks down is with orchestra when you've got and you're like Oh, I really have to practice that because I can't go through that embarrassment again. You know? 
Yeah. If, if somebody's going to hear me play this, I have to practice it. I'm really tired, but it just has to be done. You know? With the orchestra, all bets are off. That's yeah, yeah. yeah. Get into the system, or you get yeah. down. Yeah. <laughs> or told to shut up. <laughs> Uh, we spoke a bit about this previously, uh, and I really enjoyed your litmus test of what makes up identity for you. Uh, would you mind to share that and how violin plays a part in your identity? Yeah, so um, often you, you meet with friends and you, you talk about what, what goes on in your life. And uh, sometimes you get the opportunities to talk about more areas more than others. So I was thinking about, yeah, my violining in terms of if I get to talk about playing the violin with my friends, I feel like they've seen me and seen my life. Um, and from that, I take that it is a, a strong part of my identity, really, that um, if I don't get to talk about, well, at the moment, how much I'm missing certain opportunities, and I kind of come away thinking, oh, I don't know if I, I was really in that conversation. You know, we talked about them, or maybe they asked me about work. But I didn't really get to express the things that were important to me in my, my life. Mm. Um, so that's, you know definitely indicates that it's a, a strong part of my identity. And in a reason, the, in a way, one of the reasons that I came back to playing, um, and it was never a decision, it just, just didn't happen because, you know, I was in the working world then and um, probably for about 15 or 20 years. And uh, I, I read an article in uh, the newspaper about, um, it was really about work and what what do you feel guilty about not doing and bringing raising that into your awareness because actually you probably feel guilty about it because it's important to you yeah and i didn't think about it in work terms but what jumped out straight away was i feel really guilty about not playing my violin and I used to hate going past the RNCM because I was like, oh, yes, my, my phone, yes. <laughs> it's on that side of the bus, you see. So it's like... <laughs> confrontation. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I thought, yeah, actually, it, it's, it is really important to me and I do want to start again. And then my aunt said to me, she asked me once, oh, are you playing your violin at the moment? I said, oh, no, not at the moment. Sort of wanting the conversation to go away. And she said, oh, I remember you when you were little. It's the first thing you used to do in the morning. You used to go, you were half asleep and you'd get your violin out and you'd start playing. And I thought, oh, gosh, you know, for a child to do that, um, you know, I, I suppose it opened the heart a bit. I thought, oh, yeah, you know, this is something I want in my life because it's part of me. It's part of my identity, being an amateur violinist. So, Yeah. It's really important, I think, for a lot of us as well to expand our identity past what we do for work or, mm. you know, the, those one or two things that mm. are our identity. Yeah, and I suppose they, they, they tend to dominate because they take up more of your, your hours when you're sort of alert and vibrant. So um, it's easy, and you're in the social structures of those where you know a strong sense of identity develops but there are so many things to explore and yes yes <laughs> thank 
just keep remembering that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it will only get harder. <laughs> what do you think that you get from this that professional musicians maybe don't? Um, partly what we just talked about, I can walk into a different world. It's, it's not my working world. I don't have those pressures and commitments and having to fit in um, so much. Um, although it's interesting because it, it is such a white dominated world. You know, there is a sense there of, yeah, having to somehow uh, negotiate that, shall we say. Um, but I can walk into a concert hall to enjoy a concert and there's no work stuff that appears in that space. You know, it is a completely separate space for me. Um, so I certainly get that. Um, yeah, I don't have to fit in with the social structures. There's no finance or status relying on it. If I don't like the way an orchestra is working, well, I just walk out the door. It's as easy as that, you know, yeah. find something else. Um, yeah, um, trying to compare it with sort of working worlds that I've been in. And I just get the sense you have more freedoms. Um, even if it has to somehow, you can't commit as strongly as it to being the, your main focus. You somehow have more psychological freedoms and societal freedoms around it than maybe you would have as a, a professional musician. Yeah. Although I think back to one of my teachers and she, I think she found that within her professional work by doing, you know, maybe not the conventional stuff and by doing a mix of stuff. Hmm. So, it, she, so she, she had a sort of, yeah, uh, I don't know, a portfolio of work and she could move around that as, as fitted her really. So maybe that is possible within the professional world too. It's definitely possible. I don't. I, I like that you mentioned freedom. I'm obviously not a professional, but when I do look at some professional musicians and their relationship to music or, or even imagining it, I think sometimes we lose that spark and love for it. Um, mm. Just because when it's, it's tied to your income, like you said, um, or it plays such a huge part in your identity, that relationship can become really volatile if you know, you're not getting the jobs that you think mm. you're getting or that you want. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, I think we all suffer from it in all areas as well of um, having to play to a certain standard. Mm. You know, I think, I think we all suffer from that, but I think there is less pressure I mean, you put the pressure on yourself, <laughs> but it, I think in the amateur world, there's more opportunity to let go of that pressure. Maybe that's the best way of saying it. And a lot of amateurs don't. Um, so in one of the orchestras I play with, there are people who have played professional and have stepped back from that because they found it crushing. And now they, they might work in the music world, but they play as an amateur, if you like. Um, and in that case, orchestra uh, violins have gone on, the, on top of wardrobes purposefully, as in, you know, I can't bear to do this anymore. So um, it's nice that they can then find that back as an amateur, you know, maybe old, when, as they get older. I think it's really interesting that excellence and, and pressure um, 
comes into it so much. Um, I was listening to a TED talk by Victor Wooten, and he says that it's such a, a strange concept to group people by skill level, um, especially in, in music, because when you're learning to speak any language, you know, your parents don't tell you to go, you know, go sit over there and talk to other kids until you can reach this level of language or, or conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so vital that we're around people that are, you know, quote unquote, better or worse than you and learning from that diverse set mm -hmm. of people and rather than sort of shaming those who don't seem to fit the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, especially when you'd love to, <laughs> you'd love to play that well. It's you're not you're not playing out of tune, out of ill intent for the orchestra. <laughs> it's just that you know G sharps always evaded you. You know. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. no one ever wants to to play badly. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> okay. I have a few rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm currently learning blank. Oh, uh, the Debussy Sonata, Violin Sonata. Such a nice one. I love it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a musician is blank. Uh, expressive is the first word that jumps to mind. <laughs> A song, piece, or artist I've been loving at the moment is? A Manchester Collective. Oh, yes. I love them. <laughs> what instrument do you wish you could play? <laughs> About three instruments shot through really fast. I always used to say the cello, but for some reason the clarinet popped up when you said that. We'll have to revisit that another time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which album or composition do you wish you'd written? Uh, oh, no idea. <laughs> Gosh. Um, I mean, as a teenager, I was obsessed with the Ravel string quartet and that pizzicato movement. I was absolutely obsessed with it. I don't know if I wish I'd written it. Don't know. <laughs> Where in your home do you feel most inspired? The windows face out onto trees. So I like uh, on, on one side. So I like there's an oak tree out there. And I like looking at the trees when it's windy. The movement and the energy. Yeah. Something you wish teachers knew. How difficult it is. <laughs> How difficult it is to uh, stabilize, integrate techniques. So difficult. Yeah. Okay, and last one. You've just finished a concert and it's gone spectacularly well. What is your post-concert celebration meal? Um, I, don't, I, can't, I can't even picture in my mind where I'd be and what that would be. I can't get to that question at all. I think it's because we're in lockdown. 
that's fair. And I just, I just, I'm like thinking, I don't know. I'm, I, I like, I was, because I was thinking the energy is so high. My comfort is tea and toast. But if the energy is high, you know, I suppose it's more, you want, you want something to drink, don't you? Like a, a like a, like a flat bit of lemonade something like that and then and then lots of little snacky things like nuts and bombay mix and you know because it goes with that kind of energy doesn't it like chewing yeah 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 little crunchy crunchy bits of pieces and <laughs> perfect well thank you Anita so much for speaking to me and, and sharing your story this has been great yeah no I've really enjoyed it it's nice really nice to explore and I'd have liked to ask you questions about your story too but I, I had a sense that I was the one that was meant to be talking <laughs> maybe for another time yes <laughs>